If you want to turn with me to our Old Testament scripture reading, you'll find it in 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll be reading the first 11 verses of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail." The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. We're reading through uh, different prayers that we find throughout the scripture. Most of them that we're going to be reading will be in the Old Testament, but one from the New. And and certainly this lists among maybe one of the more well-known prayers that we find in the Old Testament, in part because of its own story. You'll remember this, this is right in the midst of the story of Samuel, hence in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, but this is Samuel's mother, who's, who's a faithful woman, and she's prayed to God for a son. She had been barren, and God grants the request. And this is just after uh, the boy is, is left worshiping the Lord at the temple because the Lord gave her a child, so she decides she would give that child to him. And so this prayer follows this kind of you know, climactic moment is the child has come and he's now worshiping the Lord and then we're given this prayer. It's also well known in part because it provides at least some of the base for uh, Mary's song in the New Testament when she hears from the angel Gabriel that she is going to give birth to the Messiah. We have here a, a, a kind of song or, or poem It doesn't read like a prayer, at least not how we usually think of prayer. But that's what it is. She's praying to the Lord. She calls out to him. Uh, But it's really a, a song and prayer of praise. She's praising God. 
She's exalting him. It's a, it's a, a, a song of the goodness and the power and the triumphant victory of the Lord. It, it declares something about him. It speaks to something about his character and the way that he works. You notice there's these, these constant contrasts as we read it, right? That, that God works in a mysterious way that is not always in the way that we would think that he would work. No, he's the one that, that raises up the, the poor, that puts down those who are wealthy who stand against him he's he's the one that gives to those who have not and takes from those who have what we learn in hannah's prayer is that prayer includes praising and glorying in the name and the character of god it begins that way right hannah starts my my heart exalts in the lord my horn is exalted in the Lord. There's this, this sense of victory right from the start. Right? So right from the start, right there, that she says that my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's just this sense of, of complete confidence. Not the kind of confidence that says everything's good, everything's easy, I have no enemies, I have no problems, I have no trials. It's not that, it's not fake right? No, they're enemies. But she says, I deride them because of your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, she says, for there is none besides you. There's no rock like our God. Notice that she addresses the Lord directly only twice throughout this prayer. It's all directed toward him. But right at the beginning, we have these two direct addresses to him, and then and then in the rest, there's, there's not as much direct address. What's, what's amazing about this is she's just declared something about his holiness, right? His, his transcendence, how set apart he is, how different he is. And yet she can still address him, communicate to him, speak with him. There's no one like him, right? Which means that you are not like him, and yet you can communicate with him. Out of humility, she addresses him in really subtle ways. Right? She doesn't, she doesn't uh, maybe speak in, in such direct ways that we're used to. And I think this is a, a sign, a, a sense of humility in a way as she approaches this one who is, is different, who's holy. She says, no one is like It's a great mystery, profound mystery, and a great joy that we get to address the God whom there is no one like, the one who is in a class of his own. We can speak to him. Prayer is speaking to him. And your prayers should be full of praise. Because as you address yourself to God, you do so with him as the focus. Right? Your focus on him. We said last week, you know, in prayer, in a sense, the spotlight is on him, or it's supposed to be. That's, that's where everything is directed. And if it's directed toward this God, this one who has given salvation, this one whom no one is like, it should include praise. 
she speaks to the fact that you know, God is the sovereign one, that he's the standard of knowledge, that he raises up the weak, he puts down the proud and the strong. He provides for those who look to him. He kills, he also brings life. He puts people down in Sheol, but he also raises them up. Everything is in his hand. All power belongs to him. He places the humble in places of power. It's he, it says, who set the the earth on its pillars. For the pillars of the earth, it says, are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Right? How sovereign is he? He is the one that has placed the earth. Now, she's not making some statement about, you know, the, the actual, literal, you know, cosmology of it all. Like, this is, this is what Hannah thought the world was actually made like. She's speaking poetically of the power of God, that he has established all things, that it all is held up by him. He is, in other words, the one that's in control, the one who's sovereign. And you notice here, in addressing herself to the sovereign God, and you too, in your prayers, as you address yourself to the sovereign God, you can do so while, in a sense, declaring the things that you know and believe by faith, even when that's, because of all the circumstances around you, difficult. Right? Things that you know to be true by faith about who God is, about the, the kind of sovereign goodness that he has and and yet when you are faced with many trials you can declare these things it's a declaration of faith that god will ultimately destroy the wicked that he will ultimately preserve the faithful it says the lord will judge the ends of the earth he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed It's a declaration of faith to oneself, of the things that you know to be true. Even when they're hard to hold on to, even when they're hard to believe, it's declaring to oneself the reality of who God is and what he will do. Knowing that the promises of God are sure, you can proclaim those things even in your prayers, declare those things by faith even in your prayers before the face of God, declaring, I know what you say is true. I know that you're going to do what you say. It's hard for me to believe it right now, but help my unbelief. So we have here in prayer this element of praise as well as this declaration, a kind of declaration before the face of God of all that he has promised. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 and hear these words that are so dear and so familiar to us as the Lord taught us to pray. Beginning in verse 9, he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither 
will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. And what a privilege uh, that you have that you get to pray to the Father in heaven. That you have been taught how to pray by the eternal Son of God. Do you recognize what a privilege that is? What an honor that is? What an incredible thing it is that we get to pray. Today we're going to give special attention to this first line in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. Uh, This is what is sometimes called the preface to the Lord's Prayer. But it's not a preface like in a book, because usually when you get to a preface in a book, you can admit that most of us probably just skip it, right? Or, or we skim it. It doesn't seem like that's important, right? Chapter 1, that's where it should all begin. But this is not something we skip. This is everything. This is how we address our God. It's, it's so central, and it's so significant because of that. It's how you get to address him, and it speaks of the relationship that you have to him. He is our Father in heaven. And so we're going to draw out five different implications of that in honor of Reformation Day this past week. We're just going to call them five theses on the preface to the Lord's Prayer. And the first is this, that praying to God as Father shows him the honor that he is due. Praying to God as Father shows him the honor that he is due. Originally, when Jesus was speaking, he spoke in Aramaic. And uh, it's, it's likely that that's what he was speaking when he first gave this prayer. And he would have used the word Abba. And now Matthew is writing in Greek. But sometimes it's thought that that, that word, the idea of Father in Scripture, Abba, that this could maybe be translated Daddy. And I understand what people are trying to get at when they say something like that. They want want you to understand the intimacy of this language. And there's a truth to that. But the problem is that, uh, generally speaking today, fathers are treated with such contempt and so little honor that it's just dangerous that we would then do the same to God. But addressing him as father actually connotes all of the honor that we're supposed to give to him. He is father in that he is is deserving of all of our honor. Our lives are from him, right? He deserves our reverence. In addressing him as father, that's what we're showing. We're showing that we, we truly do revere him. It's a term of submission, right? That you find your place below him that he's given priority right if you're supposed to honor your earthly fathers how much more our father in heaven how much more the heavenly father god himself remember the humility that hannah shows in her prayer right addressing him in such a way that it's it's still as though you know, he, is, he is so far above. He's, he, is, he alone is God. He's, 
He, there's no one like him. That's the kind of reverence you are to have. Praying to God should not be a purely casual thing without any fear, without any respect, right? without showing any uh, dignity to God that, that made you, that's upholding you, that's giving you this opportunity to pray to him. To pray to God as Father is to show the honor that he is due. Right? All of your life is from him. Everything that you have is from him. Everything about you is the way it is because of him. And so you show him honor as you address him as Father. Secondly, praying to God as Father shows the closeness of your relationship to him. Nothing I just said in any way takes away from the, the true intimacy of this reality that you get to address the creator God as Father. That's an incredible privilege, right? The nearness, the closeness, the intimacy of the relationship that you have to him. If you are in Christ Jesus, then, then you have a more intimate relationship with God the Father than any earthly relationship that you have. But greater intimacy should also lead to greater honor, right? Those that you have a closer, more intimate relationship with, there may be elements of that relationship that become more casual. You get to know each other better, so you're just, you're maybe more relaxed around each other. And at the same time, there are ways in which you show somebody far more honor when you know them intimately and deeply. There are There are ways that you address them or don't address them because of how much you know them, how close you are to them. And the same thing is true with the Lord. It isn't as though the closer you get, the the more casual you are. There's some of that, but but as you get to know him, his, his glory, his power, and then recognize that he has even before you you realize it, even before you recognize how majestic and glorious his name is, he still allows you to take it on your lips and pray to him from childhood being raised up that way. That's a blessing from him, even when you don't understand the kind of respect and honor and and reverence that you should have. That's how close your relationship is to him. God wasn't addressed this way, in the old covenant at least almost never he addresses himself as a father he's spoken of as a father but as far as a personal address in prayer he's almost never addressed that way you really don't find it why because god had not fully revealed himself yet he had not been revealed in the fullest way as he is now through jesus christ the eternal Son of God who has made him known to you. And now you can know him and address him and speak to him as Father because you know that is what he is. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what you are. The fullest revelation of who God is came to us in Jesus Christ the Son. And so we know that God is Father. 
When we pray to the Father, we're, we're not excluding the Son. Right? We, we know this because of the Son. Right? We can only pray this way in the name of the Son because we are united to Him. It's such an intimate way to address God. It's such an intimate prayer. In uh, the early church, it seems as though uh, this prayer actually wasn't even taught to somebody until either right before or right after they were baptized. It seems like right before sometimes, if you read some of the early church fathers, it was just right before they were baptized that somebody would be taught this prayer so that after being baptized, they could have their first words be these words, right? To show the the closeness, the, the, the intimacy that they had with God. It was seen as though this, I mean, this is the, the centerpiece of all of our life and all of our worship. Because in this prayer, we learn what it is that, that we are the children of God. Now, obviously, you know, it was a different time in the history of the church. They didn't have the scriptures readily available. It was still uh, very small uh, the, as far as Christianity goes. There just weren't that many Christians. And so it was just, it was something that could maybe be done more easily. I don't think it's necessarily ideal, but it shows you how understanding this prayer was understanding the intimate nature of it. So that even, you know, if you're an unbeliever, you know, we want you to pray this prayer, but it would be wrong, actually. They guarded this prayer because you don't want somebody saying this prayer if they don't believe. It would make a mockery of it in a sense, right? This is an address to God that comes from the privileged position of being a true child of God. Thirdly, praying to God as Heavenly Father shows His power. Praying to God as Heavenly Father shows His power. Right? We use Father as such a familiar term to speak to God, but at the same time, uh, remember that you know transcendent nature of His being, right? How much farther above us He is, right? That's why we say He's our Father in heaven, right? He's the Father in heaven. He's the heavenly Father. Why do we say that? Because He is not limited by the the different constraints that we have in just normal earthly existence. He doesn't have those same limitations. He is in heaven, not, you know, scripture uses the word heaven to describe different places, right? To mean the sky, to mean what we think of as space, where the planets are. Uh, But it also means that the, the very presence of God, where God is, his abode, right? And where he is, that's that's what makes heaven what it is. But he is spirit, so he's not, he's not limited to a place in the way that we think of, of a place. He's not physically limited like that. But heaven in this prayer is the, the dwelling place of God who is spirit. It's where he is. And the point of referring to God as heavenly father is that we are to remember in our prayers that he's not just another person like us. He's, he's not just another father like earthly fathers. He is a heavenly father, a heavenly being. He's not limited. It proclaims his greatness. It proclaims his might and his power, his transcendent majesty. 
He's not bound like we are bound. So there's no upper end to his strength. Right? There's no limit to his riches. There's no problem that he cannot see. There's no situation that he cannot troubleshoot. There's no places that he cannot go. There's no people that he can't reach and change. He's, just, he's not in any way limited like you or I are. He has access to every backroom deal. Right? All of those uh, shadowy government conspiracies that you hear about all the time. He's, he's in those rooms. He sees it all. The, the, the very actions of any ruler on this earth are all directed by him and his plan and his purposes. Right? So often we pray to God, but we pray to him as if you know, he's like us, but just a little bit bigger. Right? He's stronger than me, so I look to him. But no, he's not just, he's not just stronger. Right? He's in a class of his own. He, is, he has all power. He does all things. Everything that happens, happens according to his perfect will. The one who formed the eye, can he not see all things? The one who formed the ear, can he not hear all things? Right? So when you feel so helpless and, and burdened by uh, all of the evil in the world and you have experiences that cause you to, to feel anxious about everything that's going on and like you don't have any control and you don't have any power and you don't know how to fix things that's not true of him he is all power he's not limited like that When you look around in despair to see giant evils in the world as if you couldn't do anything about it, you forget that God even made the giants. And he made them with giant foreheads, right? That are perfect targets for the stones of prayer. When kings and rulers raise themselves up against God and his people, remember that you are welcomed into his council room. Right? You enter into the presence of the king of kings and, and you have his ear. He listens to your prayers. So the point is that God is not limited. He's our father in heaven. Right? He's so far beyond and above all of these things going on around us. All of the troubles that we face. And so we can address him knowing that he is all-powerful with faith declaring to ourselves. He's our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. Fourthly, praying to God as Father means that you get to address God as Jesus did. Do you, do you hear that? I mean, do you, have you thought about that before? Praying to God as our Father means that you get to speak to God just like the Son of God, just like Jesus did. Jesus prays at the tomb of Lazarus, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. But he prays on the night he was betrayed in the high priestly prayer, John 17. What does he pray? Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. He prays in the garden. 
right, just before he is arrested, as he's left all alone. Father, if you're willing that this cup might pass, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prayed to the Father. And when he teaches you to pray, how are you to pray? Our Father. The eternal Son of God. Right? The one through whom all things were made. He could have said, I address God this way. When you pray to him, you shouldn't do that. Right? You can't know him with that kind of depth, with that kind of intimacy. And that would have been okay. He could have done that. And that would have been acceptable for him to do. But that's not what he says. He says, when you pray, pray then like this. Our Father. How can that be true? Right? How can you get to pray in the same way that Jesus Christ did? You get to address God just as Jesus Christ did. Because by the grace of God, through faith in the Son, you are actually brought into the eternal fellowship of the Godhead. Right? You're united to the Son. So you become a son. You, you become like him. You get to know God through him. You're united to him, which means that you, you died with him. You were raised with him. You're seated with him in the heavenly realm. It means that you have been adopted as a son yourself. You've been, been given the right to become a child of God. You're loved by God like Jesus is loved by God. Right? How can that be true? It is true. Right? It seems almost wrong, doesn't it? That you could be in the same kind of relationship as Jesus was with the Father, and yet it's true. That's what it means to be united to him. Jesus prays that, by the way, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, where he addresses the Father. He says that, that the world might know that you love them even as you've loved me. You are loved by God like Jesus is loved by God. Right? So when you pray to God in the Lord's Prayer, you say, Father, recognize that's, that's what you're saying. Don't pass it over so quickly. It's not just a convention of language. This is a profound mystery at the heart of all of our worship and faith. That you have God as your Father through Jesus the Son. That you come to the Father in heaven as if you were his child. Because you are his child. Because it's true. Right? With his love comes far more too. Right? His, his love with you as his child. His love is bountiful. It's overflowing. It's never ending. With his love comes an inheritance. And so you're a co-heir with Christ. Of course, if you're a child then yes, if you're united to the Son, then you, you receive what the Son receives. And Christ, he willingly shares. He willingly gives us all things. So with him, you receive the kingdom of God, the words of God. You share and participate in the, the glory of God. God, your Father, is a Father that loves to give. 
He's a father that loves to give good gifts, and so he shares everything. Right? And even when he withholds something from you, we know that that too is a gift, that he is turning you to be the kind of person that could receive even greater gifts. Just like a father with his child on earth will restrain him at times or keep him from some things that seem like good things so that he might learn discipline, so that he might learn how to work hard, so that someday he will inherit the family business. He'll inherit a whole lot more than just that candy bar. But he has to teach you responsibility, self-control, discipline. When you don't have, we're told it's only because you do not ask. And even when you ask and don't receive, it's only because you want to use it selfishly. And so God is at work even in that, even in even when God says no to your prayers, that's him answering them as your father. Right? How quick are you to accuse God of not loving you? Right? How quick are you to doubt God and his goodness? And yet, when we pray, we say our father, and we're declaring that he's good in all that he does. His love never ends. You must learn to trust him and to see the good gift in what he's given you, even right now. Right? The, the very fact that you have that communion with him, that relationship with him, that you can pray this. Whatever else may come, if you, if you lost everything else that you have, everything, and you had that, wouldn't it be worth it? it you think about um, how children see gifts and how, you know, as a, as a kid... Right, kids in here, you probably love Christmas. Right? You love your birthdays because you're like, that's when I get gifts. Right? That's what you see when you're a child. But every day, your father's providing gifts. Right? Every day, your father's providing what you need to live. Every day, you're, you've got food on the table. You've got all of these other benefits. You're, you're receiving gifts all the time. It, there are just certain times that we really see it. We really recognize it. It's the, the same thing is true with us, right? By faith, as you grow up into maturity, you should be able to see the way that God gives every day, the way that he is your father, not just in certain times when you really feel it, when you really realize it, when you recognize it. No, he's your father all the time. He's always providing for you. He's always caring for you. In Christ, you've been also given a family, right? We come to God, our Father. We, we say it together, our Father, because it's not just us. It's, it's all of us. He's not just your Father, but the Father of a multitude, bringing many sons to glory. With Christ, also, we share in the honor of God. He dignifies you by uniting himself to you. Right, to you who were but dust, he gives his Holy Spirit. Right, now you're not just dust, you're holy ground. That's what you've become. You're not a common dwelling, but the temple of the Lord. Right, you who have fallen so far from the grace of the Father, he still freely shares mysteries with you. Things that even the angels long to look into. Right? You who are frustrated 
so easily, who give up so easily, who doubt so easily, who swear at traffic and have petty bitterness and are controlled by your lust and who are disgruntled and curmudgeonly and disrespectful and contentious, you, the actual you, he is made a partaker in the divine nature. You get to come to the Father and address him just as Jesus did. Lastly, finally, praying to God, our Father, your Father, it places you under obligation to him. When you pray this, it places you under obligation. As God has shared such an honor with you and has so dignified you, in calling you to be one of his own, adopting you into his family, putting his name upon you, then that places a a kind of obligation on you to him. The church father Gregory of Nyssa uh, says it this way. He said, we must prove by our life that the kinship is real. You say our Father, well, then prove with your life that the kinship is real. It's incumbent upon you to show the honor and the dignity and glory of God through your life. We said that uh, prayer is the heart of our worship and life. Right? It's at the core of, of everything. It's at the core of all of it because it it speaks your relationship, your your communion and fellowship with God. So as the heart beats, right, our Father, as that heartbeat moves, it, it pushes that truth out and around the whole of the body. The whole of your life has this truth pumping through it. Right, This that deepest of realities should be moving through everything about you, everything that you do, right? bringing the life of God with it. Anything untouched by that lifeblood, right? anything disconnected from that, it dies. You've been given the privilege to call God Father, and so he is. Now you must represent him truly. You pray as a child of God, so you must live as a child of God. Worship as a child of God. Sing as a child of God. Parent as a child of God. Date as a child of God. Marry as a child of God. Work as a child of God. Create as a child of God. Think as a child of God. Speak as a child of God. Love as a child of God. Care for your neighbors as a child of God. Smile like a child of God. Sleep like a child of God. Right? You're not a child of God in theory. Right? Nobody can be a child in, in theory. Right? You're a child by birth, by blood, by law. There's nothing theoretical about being a child. It's true or it's not. And when it's true, and it is true of you who are in Christ, when it's true, then as a child of God, everything now is defined by the character of your Father in heaven. 
Everything about your life takes shape around him. You orbit around him. Your movements being determined by the tremendous force of his gravitas. So congregation of Christ, what a privilege you have that when you enter into the presence of the Almighty God, you are coming home. You are coming back to your Father where you've exiled yourself, where you have fled to that far country. I pray that you would remember the kindness and the generosity of your Father and that you would return home to his joyful embrace. And let all of us pray toward this end, that your life and your faith would reflect the glorious nature of our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, It is so glorious that we can even speak those words, that we can address you in this way. And we pray, Lord God, that this would not be lost on us, that we would not take for granted all that you've done and all that you've given and all that you are, but rather, by the work of your Spirit, would you Take these words that you taught us to pray and would you help us to believe them and to live them all for your glory. Amen.